Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning to you. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Bible Center, and it's my honor and privilege to open the Word of God with us this morning. Um, amazing, right? Amazing. Um, I was telling the, the Beely family earlier, um, about a year ago, I remember a conversation in my office with Mary Beth and Caleb, and we were talking about a desire to see orchestra back as a part of our church and how um, it's just something that we fondly remember and, and would like to have to be a part of us again and how in Charleston, it's increasingly difficult uh, as the arts kind of fade uh, with different things. And so I told him this morning, you guys are an answer to prayer. Um, you're an answer to prayer. And so thank you to them for sharing this morning. Uh, just absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, Paul and Lee aren't here at the moment, but um, Casey's parents, there they are. Congrats to Casey's parents. <laughs> Chalk up another game winner, I guess. Um, and then uh, just a few things here this morning before we get started. Uh, many of you have been praying for my wife, Emily, over the last couple months uh, as she's just navigated some very difficult health things. Um, and this past week, we had a, we had a good appointment. And uh, it seems like things are headed in a positive direction as of uh, the last couple days. And so thank you for coming alongside of us with that. I just wanted to give you a quick update with that. Ephesians chapter four is where we're gonna go to this morning. And we're gonna finish our fall series on unity. So we started this in September and now here we are in November with snow falling and we're finishing this series. Um, this series, I think, has been a helpful one for our church. Hopefully, it's been helpful to you. It's been helpful to me as I have looked at my own life and how the Lord is leading in my own life. And so as we start this morning, I wanted to start with the passage itself and read that together, what we, where we have been over the past several months, and then we'll go into where we're going today. So we start in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And verse six is where we're gonna finish up this morning. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Ephesians chapter four. I was thinking as we were getting ready for this morning, you know, we, we need to finish out verse six, but we also need to close this series. And we need to kind of tie a bow on the concept of unity and how we've talked as a church. And so I was struck with the fact of uh, the question of why unity? Why Unity, what's the big deal? Why does it matter? Why would we spend a fall series looking at this concept of unity? What's the big deal? And for me, 
Um, when I ask questions like that, my mind immediately goes to sports. You not, might not be like me, but my mind immediately goes to sports. And so when I was growing up, um, my favorite team to watch was the Chicago Bulls. Anybody have that as their favorite team? A few of us in the room? Okay, some of you won't acknowledge, that's all right. They had the greatest player in the history of the basketball game, Michael Jordan, on their team. You can debate me, but you'll lose. And it was a, it was a fantastic journey that they went on. So you got to watch the Bulls kind of as Michael Jordan came into the league. And over the years, they accomplished different things. And you got to kind of follow this journey. This was back in the day when, when guys would go to teams and they would stay with that team and they would work their way through the league. And so you can follow his journey, Michael Jordan's journey, kind of through the league. And from when he was young and he would flashy and he was scoring all kinds of points and he dropped a bunch of points on Boston in the garden, and, but they'd always lose. You know, he would score 60 and the Bulls would lose. And then he got some help on the team and then they ran into the Pistons and over a couple years in a row, they would get all the way to the Pistons and they would lose to the Pistons in the playoffs. And then there was that year where they, they finally got past the Pistons in the playoffs and they got all the way to the finals and it was against Magic and the Lakers and, and they won four to one in the finals against the Lakers. And that was like this, this ultimate success for this team. They had finally gotten over the hump, but now it was not just getting over the hump, it was staying there, it was continuing to win. And so all the way up to six championships later, they continued to win. They continued to stay on top. During COVID, one of my favorite series that came out was The Last Dance. You got to watch the last season for the Bulls and kind of a little bit behind the scenes of what was going on that year when they won their last title. You know, what was the special sauce for a team like that? What was the thing that enabled them to not only get over the hump, but then to, to stay there for so long, for so long and sustain this success? I think they had a common goal. Obviously, they, they wanted to win this championship. It was a common goal among them. They had a common process with practices and rhythm and you know, all that kind of stuff, the offense and the defense that they ran. There was a common process. But the thing that really made it go, and if you remember those days and you remember listening to sports commentators on what, would, what changed, it was that they became a team. They became a team. They were no longer Michael Jordan and everybody else. It was now... The Bulls, they were a team, they were unified, they were together as a group. And I think in the church, what we've seen is that God is telling us that the special sauce, so to speak, in the life of a church is unity. It's unity. And as we close this series out today, I wanna draw our attention to verse six in chapter four, because I think we find some of the most unifying language in this entire passage here at the end in verse six. It says, one God and father of all, who is over all 
and through all and in all. So unity in the church means, number one, God is the focal point. God is the focal point. There is one God, he is the focal point. And just like the bulls had the championship as the focal point in the church, the thing that's unique about the church is that our focal point, the reason we exist, the reason we gather together, the reason we are even a people group is because there is one God. He is the focal point. His design and plan is what leads to human flourishing. His design and plan is what leads to human flourishing. Go to Romans chapter 11. Flip over just a few pages in your Bible to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 is, most people would agree, a difficult chapter in the Bible. When you read through Romans chapter 11, it's, it's tough. There's some tough stuff in there. And at the end of this chapter, Paul, Paul says a doxology. In other words, kind of this, this culmination, this end moment where he's kind of summing everything up. And in some ways, this doxology is a recognition that even Paul may not totally have completely understood what he just said. but he's left with this. He says this, starting in verse 33, all the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him, for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Three things about God. Three things about God that I think we can see from there. First thing, God is the original originator. He's the original originator. I was trying to figure out words that you could put together that just would make you think a little bit of like, there's nothing before him. Like he's the original originator. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that anything that is created is created out of something that was already created? We are sub-creators. The only things that we can make were already made by God. He is the original originator. The original originator. In Romans eleven thirty six, 36 there, you see, for from him are all things. For from him are all things. They have proceeded from him. He is the creator. You go to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. And it was him who created. He is the original originator. So therefore, I am willing to trust what he says. I wasn't there in the beginning. It doesn't say in the beginning, God, when, with John standing beside him, created. It says in the beginning, God created. He's the one that made it. He's the original originator. So therefore I trust what he says. 
because he made it. He's the original one. The second thing is he's the ultimate authority. So for from him and through him are all things. And through him are all things. So not only did he make things, but he also sustains things. He keeps them moving. He keeps them going. The laws that, that created snow this morning, whether you love it or hate it, came from God. He is the ultimate authority. He made it 70 on Wednesday and 30 this morning. He's the ultimate authority. So not only do I trust what he says, that means because everything is through him, I'm willing to submit to his way. I'm willing to submit to his way because he is the ultimate authority. He is in charge. And so not only the laws of nature, but also how we live and how we function and how we exist together. And so when he says, what I want for you is unity, we submit. We submit, realizing that number three, he is the greatest good. He's the greatest good. Not only did he make everything and not only does he sustain everything, but he also is the greatest good. For him are all things. From him and through him and for him are all things. He's the greatest good. He's the greatest purpose. He's the greatest reason to exist. For him are all things. So when we come together as a group of people, we have one God who unites us. One common focal point. This God who unites us. He unites us as his family. Continue on in verse six. He says, one God and father of all. And that word father is on purpose. In fact, at the end of chapter three, Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The Greek word there for family, patria, is taken from the word for father, pater. And it's the same word here in verse six, father, pater. Our family is created by God, who is our father. So the second thing, the second thing that we see here in this passage is that his family is my family. His family is my family. No, God is the focal point, but also his family is my family. So when it comes to unity, I see that God is our focal point, but then I see that brothers and sisters in Christ are my family because they're his family as well. They're his family as well. 
So there's some evidence that we've seen throughout this series that would point to the fact that we have unity as a family. And there's some things that we could say would point to the fact that we don't have unity as a family. And so as, as we've gone through this series, I've been evaluating myself and hopefully, hopefully you've been evaluating yourself. Am I contributing to unity? So the first thing that I would say here is unity matters more than preference. Is evidence that we have it. If we live in a way that our unity is more valued than our preference, that's evidence that we actually have unity. It's evidence that we actually have unity. If the contrary is true, that my preference matters more than my unity, that's evidence that we actually don't have unity. We're actually not drawn together. We're actually not living in a place where God is our focal point, but I've become our focal point or you've become our focal point or that thing has become our focal point. Think about it in your own family. You know, fa families sacrifice preference, preferences, easy, easy for me to say, sacrifice preferences all the time, right? It could be something as simple as a paint color. Maybe you've gotten together and you've decided we're gonna go with gray. And gray is not your favorite. But for the sake of the family, the kitchen is now gray, right? We sacrifice preferences all the time within families. And so within the church, that should be true as well because we are family. We are family. We have one father. We have one Father, and those preferences are sacrificed for each other. Number two in evidence is that generosity is normal. Generosity is normal. Look inside of any family and you'll find sacrifice taking place in an ongoing way. You'll find generosity taking place in an ongoing, ongoing way. And just like that in the church, generosity is proof that we are unified. The opposite is true when generosity becomes a program, when it becomes forced, something that's one way. And generosity is so much more than giving dollars. It's so much more than giving dollars. It's a lifestyle. One of the things I love about Bible Center Church is we are a generous church with our time, with our talent, resources, whatever it might be. You're not gonna find a, a larger group of generous people, I think, on the face of the planet than here. It's normal. It's one of the most unifying things about us. If we hear that someone is in need or that someone is in trouble or that someone is going through a tough time, it's, it's a leap to action. It's a leap to action. It reminds me of what we talked about from Acts chapter two. When, we, when, when Luke was describing the early church and he said, all the believers were together and they had everything in common and they gave so that no one had need among them. 
And it wasn't because there was some fancy building program that they had put together. It wasn't because there was some snappy brochure that they had that had gone out. It wasn't because it was some Christmas offering that was taking place. It was because it was a lifestyle for them. Generosity was normal for this group of people. It was an honor to give. And as a group of people who live under one father, as a family, it's evidence of unity. Generosity is evidence of that unity. And then number three, the third evidence is that conflict leads to oneness. Conflict leads to oneness. The counter to that is when we're not unified, conflict leads to division. Conflict leads to division. You'll notice what's present in both. Conflict. Why is that? Because we are people. We are broken, sinful people. Why do you think Paul spent the beginning of chapter four telling us how to, how to live with each other? And if you look carefully, a lot of that assumes that conflict will happen. Think about it for a second. He encourages us to have humility. Why? Because most likely there'll be times where we're wrong. He encourages us to have patience. Why? Because there will be times where we are wronged, where things don't go our way, where something has happened that we're not in favor of where we've been treated poorly. But he says, have patience. He says, be gentle. Why? Because there will be times when we want to be angry. There'll be times when we wanna write that letter or send that tweet or post on Facebook. He says, be gentle prepping us for those moments when conflict is inevitable. He says, bear with one another in love. Why? Because we'll all make mistakes. The longer you're part of this group, the more likely it is that you're let down. Why? Because we're human. And so he says, bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace because he knows that the greatest threat, the greatest threat to the church is not conflict, but division. The greatest threat to the church is not conflict, but division. If you study church history, it's interesting that there was one church for about a thousand years after Jesus. One church would have been the church of Charleston because it was the church in Jerusalem. And then there were churches and cities as Paul went. 
And then for about 500 years after that, there were, there were two churches. It's in the last 500 years that denominations and groups have exploded. Why is that? Because the greatest threat to the church is division. And so if you're the enemy, what are you gonna try to do? Divide. We use the phrase divide and conquer, divide and conquer. The greatest threat to the church is division. And so a church that's unified is not gonna avoid conflict. We're not gonna avoid conflict. We're going to have problems. We're going to have trouble. Jesus even promised it. But the church that's unified, conflict will pull us together. It'll pull us together. I remember when I was dating uh, Emily and we were kind of going through the ups and downs of dating and there was a moment where we went from fighting to break up to fighting to stay together. And that's, I think, when you know, okay, this is my person. <laughs> this is my person. And I remember one night I was, I was, we had, man, we had a knockdown drag out. And we were, uh, we were engaged at the time. So she had a ring on her finger, like we were that far along. And it was one of those where she handed me the ring. And so I walked out the front door. And I remember walking out the front door of her apartment and I sat down on the step, on the top step. It's like, okay, this is the moment. Am I getting in the car? And am I driving away? Or am I gonna give this a minute and turn around and go back in? I turned around and went back in just Conflict in a unified church leads us to oneness, not to division. We can expect it. Paul gave us guidelines for how to deal with it and how we should function, expecting that it's gonna happen. But as we rally around our focal point, which is God, and we understand that the people sitting in this room are not just people that live in the same city, but their family, their family. And that extends not just here in this room, but it extends to other Christians in our city and extends to, to other Christians in our state and around the world, we're family. And so when we fight, we fight for unity. We fight for togetherness. We go through the stuff because it's worth it to maintain unity. To maintain unity, it's worth it. Number three. Number three, the mission in a church like this has fuel. The mission in a church like this, a church that is unified, a church that sees God as their focal point and sees each other as family. Now in a church like that, in a church like this, 
The mission has fuel. Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And while you're going there, I wanna set it up a little bit. So the gospel of John, one of my favorite gospels, one of my four favorite gospels. 13 through 17 in the gospel of John is an account of the upper room. So we have multiple chapters of what took place, the conversation that took place between Jesus and his disciples right before he was gonna go to the cross. Multiple chapters that are dedicated to this, what must have been just an incredible experience to be part of. And the disciples obviously did not know exactly what was going on. They had some idea that something was, was about to go down and more so as this conversation took place. But Jesus, when you read the words of Jesus in John chapter 13 through 16, you start to see what was on his heart at the end of his life. What was on his heart in those moments before he was gonna go to the cross? This was kind of his his final parting words to this group of people who had traveled with him for now three years. What was on his heart? What did he wanna make sure they heard? What did he wanna make sure that they knew and were focused on? So you get a a really intimate look at the heart of Jesus. And at the end of that time, the end of that time together in John chapter 17, Jesus prays. You imagine being in the room when the son of God prays? This group of people were sitting in this room and, and Jesus prays in those moments. And when you pray and when I pray, most of the time, those are the things that are really near and dear. Those are the the things that we deeply care about. Those things we take to God in prayer. And so in chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus prays for us. He prays for us. He prays for you and he prays for me and he prays for believers even in this time, he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he had just finished praying for his disciples. And now he's praying for those who will believe in him through that message, through their message. That's us. That's us. What does he pray in these final moments before he goes to the cross? Verse 21, he says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then, 
that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know. Not our programs and our buildings and our, our fancy stuff. Our unity. Our oneness. Our togetherness. Why unity? Because it's the thing. It's the thing. It's the thing that makes us different. It's the thing that separates us and it's, it's the fuel for the mission. How does everyone know God? Jesus is saying here, by our unity. And in the moments before he went to the cross, that's what he prayed for. He prayed for you, that you would be able to keep the unity that he has made. A couple questions for us as we close. A hundred years from now, what will your legacy be for the time that God gave you as a part of this church? What do you want that to say? What's the most important thing you can think of that, that people would remember you for? What about in our city? Not just this church, but you're a Christian that lives in this area, in this valley. A hundred years from now, what, what legacy do you want to leave in this valley as a Christian who lived in this valley? What about our state? In the state of West Virginia, a hundred years from now, when they speak your name and they talk about you and the legacy that you left behind, what do you want said? What do you want said? Maybe you're described as a person who was patient. Maybe you're described as a person who was gentle. Maybe you were described as a person who was a peacemaker, who did everything they could to, to keep the peace. Maybe you're described as loving. Maybe you're described as someone who is a reconciler, who helps fix broken things, and broken relationships. And this church and this, this valley in our state is different because you were part of reconciling broken things. Maybe your next step today is broken relationships. Maybe when I say that out loud, your mind immediately goes to several that you have. And your next step is, I need, to, I need to mend those relationships. And I don't know how, and it's gonna be hard, just like sitting on the top step and going back in the door. It's gonna be hard, but I'm gonna wade into that.
Maybe your next step is, is just relationships themselves. Maybe you've been sitting here for a few weeks or a few months and you've been in the background and, and it's, I don't know that I wanna plug in because I'm not sure what's gonna happen and, and where I'm gonna go and, and what people are gonna be like. And maybe your next step is I need to get involved. I need to know people. I need to know people. I don't know what God's speaking to you on today. But what is he asking you to do? How is he asking you to play a role in the unity of this place, in the unity of this people group? Because before we can talk about influence and impact all across our state, it starts right here. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.